Good morning, and welcome to episode 109 of Effectively Wild, the Baseball Prospectus Daily Podcast in New York, New York. I am Ben Lindbergh, and in Long Beach, California, uh, you are Sam Miller. We are one episode away from finishing the week on a multiple of five, but we didn't do it because we took Boxing Day off. Uh, and now I don't know when we'll do it. Probably never. Well, what are we going to... Yeah, well, uh, let's see. We, we're we doing three next week. Is that right? Yes. So what what episode is this? 109? Nine. So then we'll be 112, and so then Martin Luther King Day will come along, and we'll be one, you know, 116, essentially, and then President's Day uh-huh. will get us to, to one... To, to an, an even number. So mid-February, we should hit it. So I have something to look forward to. We don't celebrate two President's Days anymore, do we? It's just the one? Uh, I think so, yeah. So And then, then we're good, right? Because there's nothing in March and there's nothing in, well, there's nothing in April unless we take a, a day off for Easter. Mm. And so we might actually make it until from, from mid-February till the end of, of May. This might be the best thing Man, for you. Those will be the days. All right, now I have something to live for. Um... I meant but to, it is the last of the year. This yes, is, we're oh, yes. not ending. We're not ending the year on a round number. No, um, I meant to ask you. You tweeted the other day a picture of your Christmas present, and it was it was a piglet. It was a it was a yes, it was a piglet. You explain. I got a piglet. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. I want my parents have enough land uh, up in Northern California that they have room to, to raise animals, and they raise. Uh, sheep and uh, they have geese and chickens and goats and when I was a kid we would occasionally grow a hog uh, raise a hog or a steer Wow! and uh, we haven't for a real long time and uh, I've because I'm uh, I, I kind of feel bad about eating factory farmed meat mm-hmm. but I also feel good about eating meat I wanted to um, I wanted to sort of eat meat more responsibly so I asked them if they would raise uh, a pig and uh, we're going to share it. <laughs> <laughs> so at the end of the year, you're going to stomp it like you do the crickets. June, actually. June, okay. Yeah. Worry about what will happen when your daughter gets old enough to read and starts reading children's classics like Babe and A Cricket in Times Square. Or Charlotte's Web. Yeah, and and his... My- so yeah, my wife and I were talking about actually Charlotte's Web came up because we were making you know some pig jokes, and my wife mentions how absurd it is that 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 is a book about a a pig, and that everybody is so impressed by the pig, as though like they cannot see the genius spider, oh, the spider. right in yes, front of them. Yes, I've heard that interpretation. And so then we started thinking like when when you see the Virgin Mary on a tortilla. Everybody thinks it's an act of God, but but I mean, what about the tortilla? That's a that's a that's a brilliant tortilla. Wow, it's a fully sentient tortilla. Do you hear that bird? I did hear that bird. Uh, so this is like the cricket of the morning. When we, <laughs> I guess when we record in the morning, there's a squawking bird there. Yeah. What kind of bird is that? Um, it's probably a crow. Mm. Well, this is where I get my daily dose of nature, I guess, by <laughs> Skyping with you. Otherwise, All right. I'm... Should I'm, we move on to... Yeah, we probably the, should. So, right, so we were going to talk about yeah. something else, but then at the last minute, we decided to do a different format for the last show of the year. So what is that format? So this format is just going to be a bunch of little things about baseball. Real quick things, some more personal things, and uh, things that maybe we would never 
would would bore you guys all with an entire show about us or that are topics that we don't think we have enough nuance to to sustain for an entire show but that are things that you know I'd like to know about Ben that's basically what they are they're things I would like to know about Ben and so I'm going to use this opportunity to ask him and then he might ask me the exact same question back I don't know am I allowed to answer these I guess I'll yeah answer you them. answer them because I don't even know what the questions are and I don't have don't my own questions that's true. So, um, so we're just going to knock them out. They'll be, you know, a minute or two a piece, and uh, we'll be on our way into the the new year. Okay. So, um, all right. So, first question: You are the editor of Baseball Prospectus. Um, what is your favorite piece that Baseball Prospectus ran this year? Uh, so you gave me about five minutes of warning that you were going to ask this question, and I didn't have an answer prepared, and. I still don't have an answer I'm really satisfied with because I feel like we have published many excellent articles this year. I'm, I'm somewhat biased, but I think there's been a lot of great work and I don't want to snub anyone. And by picking one, I am not even really saying that it's the favorite. It's just the one that occurred to me in the first few minutes. And if you asked me again next week, I would have a completely different answer probably. Um, so one that came to my mind was an article by Jason Parks from mid-June that was called Searching for a Prototype. And in that article, he took a quote from Kevin Goldstein, who had said something about a high school outfielder who was a monster out athlete, but sashimi raw. And he also kind of applied it to Rangers prospect Jordan Aikens. And he asked the question, can you name some other toolshed prospects that struggled early in the minors but eventually developed into stars? Because he and also Kevin uh, are kind of infatuated with tools, and they like prospects who have great physical gifts but aren't necessarily refined yet. And so he asked a bunch of people within the game if they could think of a player like this who had had those kind of crazy tools and was an incredible athlete, but was just so raw that they just barely knew how to play baseball um, early in their career, who turned into a star. Because that's kind of the the appeal of tools, is that this player is eventually going to figure everything out and be a great player. And it turned out that he couldn't come up with any examples of that player, and neither could anyone else. There were a couple guys like Matt Kemp or... Or Jimmy Rollins, uh, who sort of fit most of the criteria, but were just kind of too good at baseball to really satisfy all the conditions. So they just couldn't come up with anyone who had just been this completely raw player who had incredible tools who then put it all together. And so he kind of re-examined his own uh, approach to scouting and thought, well, maybe we should just rule these guys out instead of drooling over them. Uh, so I thought that was admirable of him to kind of question the the way that he evaluates prospects. And it was just a, a well-written article and an entertaining article. And that is my choice of this particular moment. That was a great article. Yeah. I, um, I My favorite article I'm not going to talk as long about. I just uh, remember it and liked it a lot. And it was... Um, when Adam Sobsey wrote about the Orioles and how many oh, yeah. transactions Dan Duquette has made. Mm -hmm. uh, it was titled The Postmodern Orioles, and it was uh, a great piece that came at a great time because everybody was writing. This was early September. 
everybody was writing their own take on what the Orioles were doing. And <laughs> yes, uh, and it was so hard to come up with a new angle on the Orioles. It was like it really was. Yeah, differential is bad, and they have a great one-one record. And how many times can you point that out? In how many it was so. yeah, it was so hard that Russell and I wrote almost the same article on <laughs> the almost same the same day. day. Yes, <laughs> uh, but yeah, Adam Adam noticed something that was basically just in plain sight and. Uh, made me look at that team a lot differently, and and um, so I just thought it was really good uh, analysis. My favorite, uh, this is not my favorite article, but my favorite actual um, uh, discovery of baseball perspectives this year uh, was so small. It was just such a tiny sliver of baseball information, and it just happened. It was when RJ wrote about Coco Crisp stealing bases, mm-hmm. and that was good. I mean, he so he finds that Coco Crisp um, sometimes just leaves before the pitcher goes. Like he's got such a good read on the pitcher, he leaves before the pitcher makes his move, which you know happens occasionally. You see it just periodically. I would guess that good base stealers, you know, I would have guessed they do it two or three or four times a year. I think Coco Crisp did it like thirteen or fourteen times this year. He does it just relentlessly, and it's an amazing thing to watch. And and uh, I would never have noticed that in it. Uh, I'm hoping that RJ will do the same with other good base stealers. Yeah, anyway. he's working on a sequel for next week on kind of the next Coco Crisp type base runners. Okay, um, when uh, whenever a player gets popped for steroids or something like that, there will be snark on Twitter about how a uh, guy who did steroids gets 50 games, a guy who gets a DUI gets no game suspension, uh, or sometimes it'll be wrapped up to include a guy like Yunel Escobar, who had a hate speech on his face, or Delman Young, uh, who had his anti-Semitic uh, thing going on, mm-hmm. and their suspensions are, are are very small compared to steroids. And and the you know the 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 statement, the societal statement, which I think is legit, is that steroids are probably not as grave a threat to our culture as uh, bigotry, and not as dangerous as drinking and driving. My question is simply, do you actually think that, that the commissioner should get involved for DUIs? Should the commissioner have the power to suspend over a DUI? Hmm. Uh, that's a difficult question. I'm, my initial inclination as you asked it was that it's something that, that the legal system handles adequately uh, and that it would almost be redundant for the commissioner to get involved. I, I mean, I guess you could sort of say the same thing about steroids, which are illegal. Um, so it's not really a, a double punishment any more than a steroid suspension would be. I guess the fact that we have uh, a steroid suspension and not a DUI suspension has to do with the fact that steroids are maybe perceived as a greater threat to the game itself than a DUI would be, um, even though societally a DUI is is far worse. Uh, so I guess in that sense, it's sort of a, a self-serving thing for the game that some substance that is either actually or perceived to be kind of making the game less fair or less compelling or less legitimate would be punished by the game as opposed to some force outside the game. I guess, I mean, it. I guess you could, could a team technically suspend a player on its own for that? Or would that, I guess that would have to be a collectively bargained thing that a team couldn't just unilaterally do? Yeah, I think that's right. I think that 
they would uh, they would run up against some really strong opposition if they tried, and they probably would lose the arbitration. Right, and then I guess if you, I mean, if you include a DUI as a thing that the commissioner should suspend people over, then you have to do the same thing for uh, maybe some other offenses, like say Andrew Jones's battery the other day, which just came out. Obviously, he is going to Japan and. His, his team in Japan so far has not decided to retract the offer. But if something like that had happened when he was in the majors, and obviously it, it has with other players, then uh, maybe if you had the precedent for a DUI suspension, then you kind of do that for any crime which would be seen as, as equivalently bad. Um, and I don't know, I guess... That's not necessarily an argument against it, though it would certainly be a, a complication, because uh, then you're also you're almost having the baseball commissioner kind of decide the moral wrongness of crimes and what's wrong enough that a player shouldn't be allowed to play. So I don't know. I guess I'm okay with the way it is. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that it, they're not a, they're not a great analogy. The reason that baseball. Uh, regulate steroids is because it affects the competitive balance right. of the game, and that's what the league is. That's that is exactly the league's role mm-hmm. uh, to do. And so, you know, you could argue about whether it's the right decision or it's whether they treat steroids the right way or not. But clearly, that it is their their purview. I, I mean, I do feel really odd when a player gets. I mean, you're right. Battery, or you know, hitting your wife or hitting your girlfriend is is even maybe even more so when it when they come back and I see them getting cheered. A few days later, for you know, hitting, hitting behind the base runner or something like that, and it seems weird and kind of gross and ugly. And I wish there was a free market way that 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 um, we could avoid that. That you know that these players' kind of worse offenses could be regulated. But I don't like the idea of giving it to the league office. I think that most people who make that comparison probably uh, it would surprise me to think. That they wanted Bud Selig to have more power because most people think Bud Selig has too much power, mm-hmm. and um, I don't know. I mean, I think that like with Josh Lukey, um, who uh, well, I don't even want to get into the specifics of what he did, but I, I sort of enjoyed the way that he was shamed mm-hmm. this year, and I like the shaming of players, um, like unofficially. I don't know if it matters much. I don't know if it matters much to Lukey. I don't know if it matters much to the other players, but. I think I I would rather keep it out of the commissioner's office. Too. Yeah, Kevin uh, Kevin's position he was obviously extremely anti Lukey, but his position on Lukey was that he didn't want any sort of rule or any kind of ban on his playing in the majors, but he just sort of hoped that each team yeah. individually would make the choice not to employ him. Yeah, I would I would, I would support a team that made that choice for, uh-huh. for for crimes like that. I'd make it. I'd I would support a team that wouldn't sign a, a player that had um, a you know, a, a, a domestic violence charge, or perhaps, I don't know, perhaps I would say two DUIs. I mean, I, I don't like one. I think it's a wretched, wretched thing, but mm-hmm. I mean, I've known enough good people who have gotten behind a wheel that I don't know that it's, uh, you know, yeah, it's horrible. It's awful, but it's, I, I don't know that I would take away a person's livelihood over it. But yeah, I mean, I don't know if all 30, you, obviously you'd never would get all 30 teams to do it, but I would, I would probably cheer for a team that that made a stance out of that. Uh-huh. All right. All right. If you saw, it's Brian Bruni, right? Is Brian Bruni? <laughs> yeah. If you saw Brian Bruni on the subway, would you say anything? Uh, 
Brian Bruni, in case you don't know, has been his favorite player. <laughs> sort of. Um, probably not, I guess. I don't know. I, I might just because... I mean, if it were someone who had people going up to them all the time and telling them that they're their favorite player, I wouldn't. But I kind of doubt that's ever happened <laughs> to Brian Bruni. So it might just be kind of a novel thing for him to be told you, that. Yeah, but you don't have an intellectual reason for why. It's not like... <laughs> no. Uh, no, I don't. It might, actually seem, it might actually seem condescending that he is wrong your favorite player. <laughs> yeah, because it kind of is. It's sort of just a, a joke in a way. Um, so I probably wouldn't say anything, I guess, just cause I'm shy and I'm a New Yorker and New Yorkers are conditioned to be proud about not talking to celebrities because we see them all the time. Uh, and just cause I would probably have nothing to say to him at all. Um, I don't know what I would say to him other than I used to watch you pitch and developed a strange fascination with you. Um, and that would probably just make him uncomfortable. So I probably would tweet a picture of him, and that is all I would do. I think I would probably would give a head nod on the way out. <laughs> okay. Only on the way out when the threat is completely removed from his from his area so uh-huh. that he would not feel comfortable. Right, okay. Uh, and, and so I, my actually my follow-up was going to be, what if it were Derek Jeter, a player who is expects to be approached to the subway, but it sounds like you would say no to Derek Jeter as well? Derek Jeter I would definitely not talk to because he is boring. Yeah. At least his public persona is extremely boring. Uh, so I Can you think of a player you would? Jose Molina? <laughs> uh, yeah, actually. I might, I might talk to Jose Molina because I feel like I'm almost a champion of Jose Molina um, in a small way. So, yeah, yeah I, might, I might talk to Jose Molina because I could actually talk about things that he did in a non-ironic way and probably still creep him out but um maybe i would even be able to tell him something about himself that he didn't know or something i don't know although i'm sure other people have told him and he's probably tired of hearing it and and wouldn't believe anything i said anyway which is probably smart on his part all right um it, how long do you think it would take you to hit a pitch thrown by a major leaguer? It, let's say this is the this is the setup. It's a major. It's a legit major leaguer. Uh-huh. Let's say it's uh, let's say it's Brian Bruni in his prime, and he's he's only throwing. <laughs> is that definitely is that the same thing as a legit major leaguer? <laughs> let's say it's David Robertson. Oh, okay. Never. He's only throwing fastballs. All right. Okay. He isn't laying him down the middle. But he's just basically throwing fastballs down in the strike zone, okay? Mm-hmm. So they're not all going to be at the exact same place, at the exact same spot. But they're, you know, they're going to be fastballs around the strike zone. Okay. Uh, throwing uh, as hard as he can. How many pitches until you make contact? Uh, let's see. I'm 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 a relatively coordinated person with some small amount of baseball experience, and I suppose that would help. And if I know what pitch he's throwing, um, and I just have to just touch it, I can foul tip it. Does that count? It's good. The ball's got to go forward. Oh, uh, that's tough. Um, I guess I would say I could make extremely weak contact knowing what the pitch was, 
in 50 swings. 50, wow. Is that too low? No, I, I don't know. I honestly don't know the answer when I, I, my answer is usually lower than most people's, I think. Mm-hmm. I, I, my guess is um, like somewhere between 18 and 26. Yeah. But, I, but I don't really know. I mean, I, I, I honestly, I don't know. I've, I've, a pitch I've, going that speed, I would think in just like from a batting practice machine or a pitching machine um, in fewer than 50 swings. So I guess it's just, and and I guess the thing that makes Robertson so hard to hit is that he's like deceptive, but I don't know that that would make it any harder for me because I don't know what a, a normal guy throwing a really good fastball looks like. So there's no contrast. Um, so yeah, it's the the difference between the pitching machine is probably greater than I'm giving it credit for because there is going to be a lot more movement on just on a regular fastball. I mean, these guys don't throw it straight. Yeah. Um and there's certainly going to be more of a terror factor. Mm-hmm. Um especially coming, I mean, partly because you know the unpredictability of man and also because of the arm angle is different than a batting practice or batting uh, batting machine. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, maybe I'm a little low, but I think I think I would be able to time it within 26. Well, we're both in the BBWAA. We should be able to arrange this somehow. Well, actually, this is the reason that I oh, started. Yeah, there was a, a guy who did that, right? I think. The, I don't know. There was a guy who or, did the uh, let himself get hit by a... Oh, yeah. By a, cause he, he had been saying some batter should have let himself get hit. And so then the team yes, said, you want to try it? And so he got went down to the cage and got hit by a 90-mile-an-hour fastball from the machine, which was a great idea. But actually, I do intend... I mean. The listeners will get a sneak preview of an article that I intend to write someday, uh, a researched article about how hard it is to hit and whether it's actually hard to hit or not. Because it seems to me the fact that pitchers are not selected for their ability to hit at all, like there's not one degree of significance, and yet every single one of them gets a hit. And you look at... You look at Matt Garza, there's never been a worse hitter alive than Mm -hmm. Matt Garza. He cannot hit. He's terrible. He's awful. And yet he got two hits this year. He didn't just put the ball, the bat on the ball two times. He put the bat on the ball, I think, nine times. And you figure major league pitchers are probably mostly excellent athletes and probably hit in the minors or maybe... uh, Well, not the minors, but they would have hit. Yeah, they probably would have been. They they were probably a good hitter in college or high school or something. Sure. Yeah. They were almost all the best hitter growing up. I mean, I'm I'm a, I, I'm aware of that. Okay, they're better hitters. They were all better hitters in in little league than everybody else in their league. Yeah. However, there have to be a couple who weren't who just can throw. Mm-hmm. And yet, there's never been. I mean, you know, there, there's got to be one, right? There's got to be one guy who can snap off a breaking ball, throw 94, or maybe has a knuckleball, but can't hit at all. Mm-hmm. And that those two skills, they're not really related. They're both in athleticism, but so is, you know, so is polo. Um, and yet you wouldn't expect them all to be great polo players. Mm-hmm. And yet there's never been a major leaguer who went 0 for 280 in his career. It's just, I mean, you go 0 for 40, you go 0 for 60, you see guys strike out 70% of their time sometimes, but they never go 0 for. Yes. So I suspect that it is secretly easy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, so the follow-up is: How long would it take for you to get a base hit if he were throwing to you in a uh, defended field? Uh. Okay. And the infielders are playing in, I assume. Uh, let's. They probably let's, should. <laughs> they're playing in, but they're not playing in extreme. It's not a nine-man infield or a seven-man infield. It's just okay. a. It's a normal alignment, but they're playing in. Uh. 
Wow. Okay. Um, probably the first hit I would get would just be placing it perfectly that it gets by the pitcher, or even it doesn't get by him, but it's hard enough that it's ruled a hit because he can't field it cleanly, but he had to move to get it. Um, so if I set 50 swings just to hit the ball forward... That's only 17 at-bats okay. for what it's... Right. Um, I'm going to guess that in in 100 at-bats, I could get lucky enough to get a hit. Maybe if I were... I'm not extremely fast. If I were, if I were much faster, I would probably say that I could do it faster. But uh, yeah, I guess. Yeah. Because if I'm saying have... it takes me 17 at-bats to touch the ball... Um, then it would have to be a much higher number because major league defenders are good at getting out. Yeah, so 100 at-bats would be somewhere in the neighborhood of 300 swings, a little less than 300 swings. Uh-huh. It was about right to me. I would imagine that my BABIP is going to be extremely <laughs> low. I'd, I would go, yeah, maybe two to 300 swings. Yeah. Well, okay, how about this? If you were pitching, how long... Would it, would you ever get a swing and miss? Oh right, no, I know. That's see, that's actually the counter argument to my to to my to the piece I want to write is that the counter argument is that Chris Davis struck out Adrian Gonzalez swinging, and so in fact, mm-hmm. that hitting is impossible. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, Chris Davis, I don't know what his background is, but he was probably selected to be the position player who pitched because he had some sort of pitching experience. Yeah, I'm sure he was, but also Adrian Gonzalez. (laughs) Right. And he struck out swinging. I think he whiffed twice. Yeah. Uh, Would I ever get... No, I would never get a swinging strike. Never. I would... I'm confident that I could throw 5,000 pitches in a row. (laughs) You'd probably get tired. Do you... I mean, have you ever... Have you ever clocked yourself? Uh, not in years, not since I was little. It's really depressing how slowly you throw. I mean, I feel I have I play softball. I play Sunday softball. I have a good arm. Mm. Uh, I throw guys out. Um, you know, I'm a I'm a grown man. You know, and and I, I I feel like I throw pretty hard. But if you ever actually clock yourself, I mean, you you really you like throw like maybe fifty or something tops, <laughs> like yeah. Um, what did you say? What was your number? I was going to say like 70. Yeah, I don't think I could. I'm, I'm confident I couldn't hit 70. Yeah, I probably couldn't either. If Doug Thorburn worked with me. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I've been throwing my whole life. I've thrown, I've probably thrown, I don't know, I've probably thrown 100,000 baseballs and I, I doubt I could do much better than 65. Mm-hmm. I could do better than 65. I bet I'm, I bet I'm 62 to 65. Mm-hmm. So I would, and I have no movement at all (laughs) so yeah i don't think i would ever get a swinging strike ever maybe just the element of surprise because your pitch is so slow and moves so slowly on the first pitch if a guy is like keyed up to hit real pitches except i guess even then they hit batting practice pitches and they don't they don't ever miss a batting practice pitch right no one ever swings through a batting practice pitch and those are Uh, and a guy who's throwing batting practice I mean, that's going, what, 60, 70, 70, something? 40. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, hmm. so no one ever misses those that I've seen. I don't know. I mean, they might foul them off, but. Yeah, I, I, 
vaguely recall seeing it once or twice, but yeah, it's. An, I mean, if I got a swinging strike, the difference is that if I got a swinging strike, it would be totally uh, unrelated to me. It would just simply be that the you know the hitter developed a you know a blindness. Yes. Yeah. Something bright had a migraine. Uh-huh. That sort of. Whereas I, I honestly do believe that my ability to coordinate myself um, would give me a, a, a fighting chance to make contact with a, a fastball. Not a good chance. Not a not a not a fighting chance. Not a fighter you'd want in your corner. <laughs> By the way, we're fighting. not counting bunt hits. I assume you can't bunt. Okay. I would. Jeez, I'd lose a thumb. Mm, yeah. All right. Um, let's see. If you were Pedro Florimon, would you do steroids? <clears throat> um, now or pre-testing? Yeah, that's a good question. I, because my answer is also. It's a difference. So, yeah. would you do it now? Would you do it pre-testing? I uh, guess. Yeah, go ahead. Now I would not, although I don't really know anything about steroids, and it's possible that there are designer steroids that most people know about that are undetectable and are completely safe for a player to use, safe in the sense that he's not going to get uh, suspended. But assuming that you believe baseball and that. The, the test can catch things and the sport is clean and all that. Uh, I would not do it now. Although there's still, I guess, an argument to be made that it still makes sense to do it if you are a, a really marginal player because you might not get caught. And if it does help you a lot, you might make more money than you would have made even if you are suspended. Um, the ethics. The ethics. Yeah, the ethics. Uh, I don't know. Um, I would think pre-testing... If I if I were convinced that it were safe or safe enough that it wasn't gonna kill me, um, I don't know. Probably if everyone else was doing it uh, and I was a marginal guy and I wasn't independently wealthy and had a family to support and all of that, uh, and it was the thing that I had devoted my life to, um, I don't know. I think maybe I would have done it. Or at least I don't want to say that I wouldn't have done it because I feel like that's almost presumptuous without ever having been in that situation and had the incentives to do it that you would. Uh, So either I would have done it or I'd like to think that I wouldn't have, but I'm not at all confident in the fact that uh, I wouldn't have when actually presented with that situation. Yeah, I'd like to think I would not have but I think I probably would have. I mean, it seems to me that if, if whether everybody was doing it or whether you merely thought that everybody was doing it, um, I think that it would be a pretty easy ethical rationalization to make. Yes. Uh, I mean, you're involved in a competitive thing, and if it doesn't disrupt the competitiveness of it because everybody's doing it, then it doesn't really seem that bad. I mean, it's it's all... It's all fake. Baseball is all fake. And they're, so, you know, why not? You know, it's not like you're not really stealing from pensioners or anything like that. Right. You're, you know, you're, you're cheating. And cheating and stealing are the same, but they're also different. And I think that despite my sort of hopes for myself, I think that I probably, um, there's, a, there's a decent chance that I would have convinced myself, mm-hmm. talked to myself. Especially if you're Pedro Florimon and you have such incredible, uh, incredible financial 
uh, incentives. I mean, it's not like it's not like coming from you know a gated community in Orange County, right. and when your baseball career ends, you're going to be a stockbroker. Um, no, you're going to go back to the DR and and be poor probably. Yeah. All right. Last question. If you if 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 anybody if if somebody in the world would pay you to write about anything you wanted to write about, but not baseball, you were excluded from writing about baseball. Mm. What would you write about? Uh, I would probably write science fiction. Oh, interesting. Do you write science fiction? Uh, not now, just because I'm constantly in a state of writing about baseball or worrying about what I'm going to write about baseball. Um, but if I had time or if it, or if I had to change careers or something, I would probably do that. I think maybe, um, cause that was just kind of my favorite genre growing up and, and maybe still is. And probably, I don't know that it influenced my writing style in that I am now writing about baseball and there's not a, a whole lot of, uh, carryover or crossover between the two, but, I would probably do that. It's something I did just kind of for fun growing up, and it gave me a lot of pleasure, and it gives me a lot of pleasure to read. And if I were able to do it well, um, I would take a lot of pride in that, I think. So I would definitely uh, at least try to be a novelist and probably be a a failed novelist, and I would probably, my first failed novel would be a, a science fiction novel. Oh, I hope you write one. Well, I hope I do too. I would write but about because uh, I lose my current job. I would. I'm not. I'm. I'm not joking when I say that. I would actually write about. I think if if assuming that it were financially sustainable, that somebody would pay me to do it, I would write about household pests and bug general and exterminating them. I think that um, yep. when you when you when you get a house, you realize how um, how. Uh, at the mercy of pestilence you are that you're just you're always one bed bug away from your life being ruined or <laughs> one approach away from like living with cockroaches for the rest of your life and mm-hmm. i think that uh i mean ants are my favorite animal uh spiders are spectacular the the sheer mass of bugs in the world mm-hmm. and uh uh the you know the so many of them and so many you know trillions upon trillions upon trillions of them that I, it's one of my favorite topics, and I like to read about it, and I would love to write about it, and I never will. Well, maybe, so would you want to be uh, an exterminator or just an entomologist and study them or, or wipe them out? Um, I don't know. I or think study that... Study them in order to wipe them out more efficiently. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think that. I think... <laughs> Yeah, I think, I mean, I would like to write from a sort of a, I would like to write about bugs from a perspective that would be useful to a, to a, a, a normal person, you know, like I, it would be kind of service journalism. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's all. Entomologist uh, slash exterminator. What's that? Entomologist slash exterminator slash popular science writer. <laughs> yes. Okay. All right, so that's the last show of the year. All right, well, it's been a good half a year or less than half a year, however long we've been doing this. Uh, We'll be back on Wednesday then with episode uh, 110, and that would theoretically be an email show if you send us emails. So 
do that, please, at podcast at baseballperspectus.com. And that will give us things to talk about next week.